Uprising podcast family and welcome to another episode. I hope you enjoyed last week's episode. I know we ran on well over the usual one hour but sometimes it's just really hard to get all of that great wisdom into that one hour box. Um, but I'll try my best. I'm going to try my best, but no promises. If you are fresh and new to Reggae Uprising podcast, it is all about connecting people of the African diaspora through wisdom, overstanding and inspirational stories, all backed by a soundtrack of sweet reggae music. So each and every Wednesday, I feature a brand new guest and they share their journey with all of us for the betterment of all of us along with seven reggae selections now if you want to get caught up on those previous episodes because there's a whole heap of episodes whole heap of guests a whole heap of wisdom that has already been recorded if you want to get caught up on all of them including all of the specials as well so the black history month specials the triumph over adversity specials the mental health specials, uh, what other specials, the Kwanzaa specials, there's loads and loads of specials. Um, if you want to get caught up on those, all you need to do is go to daniel.co.uk where you can also get my other weekly show, which is every Monday, which is a reggae uprising. As, as I am also a singer, as well as being your host, I sing a brand new song every single Monday for you. So whether that be a reggae cover or original works of mine, I do a video every single Monday to motivate you at the start of the week to keep the vibrations nice and high and make you feel good. So you can also get that via daniel.co.uk where you can also find all of my social media and you can get in touch with me via the contact page if you would like to feature on a future episode. So no matter where you are listening to this in the world, please get in touch if you would like to feature. Right, I think I've talked just about enough and I think it's about time we heard today's guest's first selection. Bob Marley, War. Until the philosophy which old one race superior and another inferior is finally and permanently discredited and abandoned everywhere is war it's a war that until they're no longer first class and second class citizens of any nation until the color of a man's skin is of no more significance than the color of his eyes. Miss a war that until the basic human rights are equally guaranteed to all without regard to race. This a war. This week's guest is yoga instructor and creator of Silent Savasana and Hella Yoga. I would like to welcome Dre Gardner. Greetings and welcome, Dre. Thank you, thank you. Welcome, welcome, sis. I'm glad to have be on here. Thank you for taking your time out to really uh, just open eyes to what's going on. Most definitely. I appreciate your time so much, but We've just heard your first selection. Can you tell us why you chose this selection? Wow. Well, uh, you know, I am the child of uh, Black Panthers. My dad was a jazz musician and still is. So when reggae hit our house, you know, in late 70s, early 80s, uh, it was rebel music. And war was something that I was turned on to early on because it was a speech written by His Majesty 
Emperor Haile Selassie I, Rastafari. And uh, my mom's a teacher of 35 years. She's retired. So, you know, everything that we did was about reading and knowledge and education. And to, to this day, that's still one of the most powerful speeches that I've heard. Put the music or done alone. It is a powerful statement. So with that in mind, can you tell us more about your heritage? As this is what this show is all about, you know, connecting people of the African diaspora. Can you tell us more about your own heritage? You know, it's, it's a unique situation because uh, my mom, my grandmother was a nurse and uh, she was Billie Holiday's traveling nurse at a very young age and she somehow acquired my mother. And I don't know if it was an illegal adoption or what the situation was, but we just recently found this out. So my mom is, uh, you know, she doesn't really know her heritage, which means that we don't really know ours. But all I do know is that my grandmother was a selfless person and she took in some children that weren't hers and raised them as her own. So our heritage is quite unique. You know, I've done uh, 23 Ancestry, 23 whatever, and it just says I'm 98% African. <laughs> so I really don't know my true heritage, and our family's very, very small, and we didn't realize until later on in life why it was so small. Do you know anything further about, you know, um, the connection with Billie Holiday and how that came to come about, the experiences there? Was any of that history shared? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, we grew up in South Central Los Angeles, and my grandmother had a compound. And, like, Rolls Royces and Jaguars and all these right-side drive cars were on the compound, and I couldn't figure out why these cars were just parked there, and they were our playground. Well, my later on we realized that my grandmother was Billie Holiday's nurse slash aide. And, you know, there's letters from Billie Holiday, and it was just really incredible to kind of hear some of her stories when she did talk about it but she didn't talk about it much do you think that played a big part in the influence uh, do you think there was any kind of influence that kind of led into you know your family and therefore what you were taught and how you were taught because of Billie Holiday do you think there's any connection there even well, though it wasn't talked about 100%. My, my grandmother was part of the uh, Los Angeles Renaissance, which, which was almost like the Harlem Renaissance, where black folks were very affluent, uh, doing well for themselves. And, you know, she hung out with a crew of black nurses who were basically, you know, movers and shakers in the Los Angeles area. She opened up churches, restaurants. And, you know, although I'm not a religious person, I went to church on a regular basis just because that's what my grandmother did and she ran the church on top of opening up homes of faith and rehabilitation centers my grandmother was a pillar in the los angeles community for many years so with that in mind were there any um in your household were there any like traditions that you held that maybe you kind of still have now and like you want to pass down to the next generation? Are there any like things that you would do maybe on a weekly basis or for celebration times that you, you think that maybe were unique to your household? Uh, I think one thing that was very unique to my household is that we were the first family that basically in Orange County, because we moved from LA County to Orange County because my mom was a teacher. And we were the first, what I consider pro-black family in Orange County, you know, we, we when we moved to Orange County, we were wearing kufis and dashikis, which was normal for Los Angeles. But in Orange County, they looked at us like we was the weird African family that moved in. And on top of that, you know, we weren't eating pork. So it's like, wait a minute, y'all don't eat chitlins, you don't eat bacon. Like, something's really strange about y'all. But over the years, they realized that we were ahead of our time. And my mom ended up being, you know, the teacher to many, many you know, uh, young black black and uh, female and males in, you know, the Orange County uh, School District. She's kind of legendary. <laughs> and I'm grateful for it because she instilled in me, you know, my principles. 
So what was that like having, you know, the mum that's a living legend that everybody talks about, everybody knows about, like everyone's, you know, what was that like growing up? With, I suppose, was it normal to you? Were you aware of, you know, the works that she was doing, how important they were? Or was it just norm, it normal to you because you'd grown up with it? Uh, I, I, I was aware. And all of my friends used to just love coming by my house to, you know, Come again, my dad's a jazz musician, so you come by my house and he's playing live jazz. You know, nobody else's parents were playing live music or talking about the African diaspora and really breaking down African history. You know, the Sankofa to us at a young age. So everything that happened with you know 2020 and all this civil unrest, we were already up on it. You know, like I said, my mom and dad <laughs> both went to jail as black panthers you know they were they were they were thick in it my dad used to be security for nikki giovanni and any other the other speakers that would come through uh university of california irvine or university usc university of south central <laughs> can you tell us more about um this story with your parents how they came to be in the black panthers i can't have you tell me that information and not delve a little bit deeper into it how how did they come to be in the black panthers what was their role how did the story evolve please tell us some more uh you know i i still have yet to sit down and get you know the facts from my parents i just more or less listen as they sometimes talk but it started off just, you know, they were tired of the the situations that were going on with, with black folks and how they were getting treated. So they basically started handing out the paper. And it was called the uh, the, the, the Pantherette or something. It had a panther on it. So my parents had these papers just piled up at our house. And they, had, they would have the meetings at our house. And before you know it, the berets came, the leather jackets came out. And, uh, yeah, my parents were, were, were thick in it. And we were right there with them. And then when this civil unrest happened in 2020, my mom jumped back on the front lines as a retired teacher. When they seen her out in the streets, they parted, they parted like the Red Sea and pushed my mom up on stage. She had her own little security force. She didn't know what she was getting into. She just said, I got called to action. And she told my dad, I'm leaving. And she walked out into the crowd. And Pops called me. I was like, your mom's gone. She went out. The spirit called her. And with, within minutes... People seen her like Miss Andrews, and they just like literally they put up a wall around her and walked her all the way up to the stage. And she hadn't spoken in publicly in like years. Wow! And my daughter did thing in South Central Los Angeles. And when she did did her thing, it went viral on social media. And now she has her own project. She's been doing you know her thing as well. So it, it's almost like. My grandmother planted the seed for all of us to be teachers because everybody in our family is a teacher. <laughs> and it sounds like in in all different aspects of life. Oh, yeah. My brother's a truck driver. My sister's an African dance instructor. My little brother is a, a teacher. He does workshops. He's an MC as well. I teach yoga. <laughs> my dad, you know, he's always going to be a musician, so he teaches music. And I still play with my dad when I do my gigs. Like, we're still a very active family. You talked about your mom. What was your dad's side of the story? Like, what was his his works all about? I know you said about music, but can you delve a little bit deeper? Big Jazz James basically was a rebel of his family because he chose to, you know, take up music. And, you know, his traditionally, you didn't go against your parents. You know, if your parents want you to go to college and graduate, you went to college and graduated. And he was like, no, music's my passion. And he he dived in and really never looked back. You know, he's been on uh, many albums. The group he was in is legendary. Uh, Horace Tapscott and the orchestra, A-R-K-E-S-T-R-A. Horace Tapscott was a savant and child prodigy out of South Central Los Angeles. <coughs> and, uh... Yeah, our childhood basically consisted of, you know, going to a church that Horace Tapscott and the orchestra had purchased and 
we'd go there and they play music for six hours, seven hours. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow. Wow. So I was going to say, like, what are the most pivotal moments in your childhood? But I can imagine it's probably really hard for you to pick a few. But can you? Uh, most pivotal moments in my childhood. Wow. So many things to choose from. I'd probably say watching my little brother flatline right in front of me. Wow. He ended up having a tracheotomy and they, they traked him right in our house. So my little brother was supposed to be diminished capacity, basically retarded, unable to, you know, do anything by himself. And he's a normal guy now. My mom said, we're not going to do him any, treat him any different. Let's go. And our family rehabilitated this young dude. And he's a he's a living legend with a scar to prove. There's no other MCs in the game who could pull their shirt down and have this scar that's as big as your thumb right at their trach. And they're still sharp as a tack. So, yeah, that was, uh, they let me know that, you know, we can either listen to Western medicine or we can fight for our lives. And those people around you got to be on the same page. Wow. Yeah. Knowledge is power. Most definitely. Most definitely. And you just, you just proved that. Um, before we get oh, yeah. into your next selection, um, I just want to see, are there any like phrases that the elders use? I'm just thinking about your, you know, what you've already said about your family now. Again, I think this is going to be hard for you to pick, but are there any phrases that the elders used um, when you were younger that kind of resonate with you now and maybe you use? Absolutely. Ubuntu. I am because we are. Right, we're going to move on to your next selection, which is Sonny's Letter, Linton Kwesi. Why did you choose this selection? Ooh, I'm sweating right now because uh, I, I had never heard a song as powerful as that because it wasn't like the brother was really singing. He was just speaking. And again, that was another one of those songs that was, was a letter. And he was writing a letter to his mother from prison because he fought the police who were beating up him and his friends. And in doing so, he accidentally killed a cop. And that's the letter he's writing to his mom, telling his mom, I'm sorry, but I couldn't sit around and just get beat down and not do nothing. And my first case that I caught was uh, with, with a police officer who assaulted me. So that letter hit home. And my grandmother was the one who got me out. <laughs> yeah, they he talks about how the police just really put did his friend real bad and after that that's when he went into action and now he was in jail here we go with Sonny's letter Linton Kwesi Johnson Brookstown Prison Jeb Avenue London Southwest too. England Dear Mama Good day. I hope that when these few lines reach you, they may find you in the best of health. Mama, I really don't know how to tell you this. Cause I did make a solemn promise to take care of little Jim and try my best to look out for him. Mama, I really did try my best, but nonetheless, Sorry if you tell you, sir. Poor little Jim, get a rest. It was the middle of the rush hour when everybody just a hustle and a bustle to go home for them evening shower. Me and Jim stand up waiting for a bus, not causing no fuss. When all on a sudden a police van pull up, out jump three policemen. All of them carrying baton Them walk straight up to me and Jim One of them hold on to Jim 
So him taking him in Jim tell him to let go of him For him not do nothing And him not a thief Not even a button Jim start to wriggle The police start to giggle Mama, make I tell you what them do to Jim Mama, make I tell you what them do to him them thump him in him belly and he turn to jelly Them lick him on him back and him rib get pop Them lick him on him head but it tough like lead Them kick him in him seed and it started to bleed Mama, I just couldn't stand up there and do nothing So me juke one in him eye and him started to cry Me thump one in him mouth and him started to shout one pan him shin and him started to spin Me thump him pan him chin and him drop on a bin And crash And dead Mama More policeman come down And beat me to the ground Them charge Jim Fissus Them charge me for murder Mama Don't fret Don't get depressed and down at it be of good courage till I hear from you. I remain your son, Sonny. So, can you tell us? Obviously, we've already heard about some of the role models that you had in your family growing up. Are there any other role models that you had growing up? Uh, you know, Bob Marley definitely was a role model to me. Like, I think Bob Marley was probably, like, like my true first, I don't even want to say rock star. He's just somebody that I really admired as an artist. You know, every every album was just, you know, it hit home. And I was listening to reggae before hip-hop. You know, and to me, the content of hip-hop paled in, in comparison to what Bob was saying. And, you know, one thing about the older albums is you had you could read the lyrics. So, again, every time that we listened to this, I knew every word to every song. Like they, We read them. We would understand them. And so when hip-hop came out, I was like, hip-hop's cool, but they got to come with some more wisdom. And over time, hip-hop evolved to where, you know, they were, they were saying positive stuff. But now we've taken major steps back. <laughs> So can you give us an insight into what your experiences of the education system were like? Was it positive for you? Was it negative? And how did you kind of balance it all off with, you know, what you've been taught in your household, what you'd experienced from uh, your elders? How did you balance all of that off with the education system? Well, being, uh, you know, again, uh, the, the child living in the household of a of a teacher you know education 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 is preached i don't care what you do you don't you don't go to school if you ain't going to school you can pack your shit <laughs> and uh so I, I didn't have really an option not to go to college i went to college i, I got two degrees in sociology and criminal justice and i never got one paycheck for my degree nobody's ever asked me for my degree I never got a job that was affiliated with my degree. Because after I got my degree, I was in pursuit of my happiness. I knew that my degree was not going to keep me happy. Or whatever occupation was going to be used for that. I, at a young age, I realized that they pay your salary to give up on your dreams. I'm going to chase my dreams. I'm, gonna chase, I'm, I'm in pursuit of happiness. So you kind of you kind of answered what, what I was thinking about asking you next was, you know, where did what was the career path? you chose but it's kind of self-explanatory maybe I don't know but before we get onto that because I want to talk about how you came to be part of the yoga world I want to throw in another selection I want to throw in um, Wild Goose Chase Steel Pulse can you tell us why you chose this selection again the lyrical content is just ridiculous and one of the uh verses in that song he says legal murder is called abortion and that really hit home to me because you know 
abortion was and probably still is running rampant in the black community. I know for a fact back in the days it was running rampant. And, you know, that's killing our black babies. And when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, and that changed my total perspective on abortion. I was like, I ain't, ain't nothing, nothing like that happening with me. Here we go with Wild Goose Chase, Still Pulse. changed everything for you um, which I want you to unveil to us but I want to set the scene first by hearing what life was like before that pivotal moment so there was I take it there was a certain trajectory that you were on before and then this pivotal moment happened that kind of changed everything so what where were you at before this moment happened what were what were your aims and ambitions before it happened my aims and ambitions, you know what? I really didn't know what my purpose or calling was in life. And in the weirdest way, you know, when that pivotal moment happened, it pushed me into my purpose. You know, your job is what you pay for. Your dharma, that's your purpose in life. Everybody's put here with a gift. Your dharma's what you're made for. Your job is what you're paid for. And very few people get a chance to, number one, even find out what their dharma is or their purpose. And number two, get to use it. Few people do that. Some people know what their dharma is, what I need to do, but I'm not going to do it because I'm scared. I'm not going to do it because I don't know how. Or I, I know what I want to do, but I just don't know how to get there. Well, when my situation happened, it pushed me right into my purpose. All right. Don't keep them in suspense any longer. Tell us about this, this moment that changed everything. Uh, 2006, my back went out and they wanted to give me exploratory back surgery. <clears throat> and I said no. So I went home, I crying, uh, and basically start doing research on how to heal your back and, you know, hot yoga and acupuncture kept coming up. So I was like, okay, I was going to try this acupuncture. And one of my really good friends, he had just got diagnosed with hypertension, high blood pressure and type two diabetes. He said, Hey man, I just got diagnosed. You know, the doctor said, if I start this regimen with this hot yoga, I might be able to, you know, nip this in the butt. So I'll come pick you up every day. Cause I was in the, I was on a cane. And I had nothing else to do. I couldn't work, you know. So he picked me up every day. And uh, my first day, I signed on for what was called the 30-day challenge. So 30 classes in 30 days. And about the 17th, 18th day, the cane was gone. I was standing up straight, and I was like, yo, this, this shit really works. Uh, after 30 days, I turned around and did another 30 days. So I did 60 days straight, and I never knew anything about yoga. Zero. I just knew how it made me feel, and it got me on my feet. 
shortly thereafter, I realized I wanted to be a coming instructor so I could share the message because I was trying to get my brothers and sisters to go. They were laughing at me. They said, become an instructor, and I'll come. So I became an instructor, and that was 2007. 2009 is when everything really changed, and that's uh, I had a seizure behind the wheel of my car. And the MRI revealed that I had a cyst on my spine, and it pushed two of my discs through my spinal cord, and one went all the way through. So it pushed two discs into my spinal cord, but one went all the way through, and they said I'd probably never walk again, and I had to have spinal procedure. So I had a spinal procedure, uh, and my rehabilitation was yoga. I didn't go to rehabilitation. I went back to my yoga mat, and that's when I realized that it truly is healing. So I put it to the test twice. Ever since I had that seizure in 2007, I've since had six more. So I officially got labeled uh, epileptic at 50. I've had four grandma seizures. My last one was in 2018. And every time I have a seizure, I go right back to my yoga mat. I'm on medication for the rest of my life. As long as I drive, I got to take these meds. But outside of that, I'm happy to be alive and yoga has tested. It's proven itself to me over and over time and time again. I've shared my message and other people have shared theirs. Suicide, depression, and anxiety. I mean, you name it. I hear it. And, it, it, and it's, yoga's life-changing. All we got to do is give ourselves a chance. But we don't. I would have never done yoga had my back not given out. Because to me, it just wasn't in my... I, I, literally, if somebody came up and told me to do yoga, I'd probably cuss them out. You full of shit. I ain't going to that. That shit's soft. That would have been my. That was my answer for years. Not knowing it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, and every day is still hard. It just makes you tougher, makes you stronger, makes you love yourself a little more. That's really what yoga is. Yoga is the ultimate act of self-love. And I had zero self-love. I loved other people. I loved other things, but I didn't love myself. That's when I was doing stupid shit. That's what. That's when I wouldn't tell anybody. No, I'm not doing that. See, when you love yourself, you tell people, oh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that unhealthy stuff for, that's not cool for me. But when you don't love yourself, you just kind of wallow. You run around doing the wrong shit. You're scared. You just want to be in the pack. Oh, I need to be around people. When you truly love yourself, you can sit with yourself and be okay with that. That's what yoga did for me. It's almost like, I suppose, um, an unconscious sacrifice. Yeah, it's... it's it, it, it was destructive. It was an unlearning to relearn. You know, I lost a lot of friends, but I gained some people that I'll grow old with that are in alignment with, you know, how I live my life and being positive because there's no excuse for bad behavior. That's lack of self-control. You know, I, I can't really be around too many people who just want to talk about their past and being prisoners to that because it's keeping them from living it in the now. If you can't let your past die, it won't let you live in the present. And there's so many people who are just stuck victim mode, and I just can't. I've done my work. Yoga's helped me do my work. Me being paralyzed helped me do my work. Because I had to sit with myself. Me wearing a diaper at 37 years old forced me to love myself. There's people walking around right now who have no concept of self-love. They love handbags, Jordans, cars. No self-love. So what was it in terms of, um, or how, how can I put it, how would you, what advice would you give to anybody that is going through any particular hardship or, or a past hardship? And like you said, they're, they're living in it, they're not getting over it, as in like the first steps of what they should do from your experience, like what um, strategies did you put in place for yourself? Because this didn't just happen overnight. It was a gradual step-by-step -step thing of healing, right? Yeah. The more time I spent on my mat, the more, the more shit comes up. You know? And that's why people don't really like yoga because it's scary. Uh, we stay busy in life, so sometimes we don't have to deal with our, our, our past. And you know, until you deal with your past, it, it, until you heal the wounds, they're still going to bleed. Regardless whether you put a sock on, if you still cut that foot and you ain't healed it, it's still going to bleed till it heals. And the same thing happens with these pains of our past. You know, what has happened to us in our past, that's not our fault. 
but it is our responsibility to heal. And we don't want to do that. We rather just go pop bottles and do, you know, be tough. I can't cry. I can't tell nobody what has happened. We have, we have to learn, learn to turn our pain into power and our wounds into wisdom so we can help other people. And the longer you keep it secret, the heavier it gets. The longer you wait to have a tough conversation, the tougher it's going to be. If we have a sprained ankle, we go see the doctor. If if, 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 if if our stomach hurts, we go see the doctor. But a lot of us are dealing with, you know, some mental health issues and we don't go see the doctor. And that's what really, uh, it frustrates me. Especially in the space that I'm in. Because it's not too many brothers or sisters who will go see a therapist. And the things they tell me, I'm like, yo, you need, like, you need help. And I see a therapist and I'm good. I've done the work. I see a therapist because it makes me better. But they think that, oh, well, shit, I'm weak sauce now. So they live, they live this life unfulfilled because they never dealt with their problems of the past. That shit has to stop. I'm tired of hearing this generational curse. No, that shit stops here. Generational trauma. No, that stops now. So your next selection um, is a perfect segue from what you just said. So it's Running Away, Bob Marley. Every man thinks that his burden is the heaviest. And wherever you go, wherever you run to, there you are. And Bob said it back in 80. And, you know, as we get older, we really realize... Yeah, wherever we do run to, there we are. So I tell people, if you're out there pointing fingers and placing blame and never being accountable or responsible, survey says ah, you are the problem. And that's, what's the, that, that's the issue. Everybody wants to project. Nobody wants to sit with self and go, why am I acting like this? Everything that happens in life doesn't need to invoke an emotion. That's just losing your shit. That's a choice. That has to change. At the point somebody can upset you, they become your master and you're the slave. Once nobody can upset you, you're bulletproof. They stop, they stop playing games with you. I'm only 165 pounds. I don't walk around like a bully. I'm not a bully, but people know that, you know, they come over here wrong at me, it's going to cost them. And they might beat me. They might, but it's going to cost them some pain and recovery time. I'm a peaceful guy till I can't, till I can't be peaceful anymore. So I've been, I've been told many times, you know, that I'm not very yogic or during the civil unrest, I was told that, you know, you shouldn't act like this, stray. And I said, y'all don't have skin in the game. I'm a black man before I'm a yogi. So don't tell me how I should feel. Unless you're going to tell me to my face. And they don't want to do that. But for some reason, a lot of people associate yoga with, you know, soft. And my first sport was jujitsu. My second sport was wrestling. So, yeah, I, I do yoga. Yoga's helped me keep, it keeps me from snapping joints and snapping, yeah. Keeps me out of trouble. I practice the pause now, whereas before I didn't practice the pause, I was reactive. Here we go with Running Away, Bob Marley. You can't run away from your sweet Can't run away from yourself 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 step down Something, something 
said you must have done. You must have done oh, something wrong. Something wrong. Why you can't find the place where you practices yoga the practices and the pace of course can vary because we're all unique beings yeah what was your yes. chosen path within your yoga wisdom so where did you start and how did it kind of what practices did you find i don't know if you if it's the right terminology to say easiest or you or you kind of um uh were drawn to what were the practices that you were drawn to you know, again, it was ironic because had my friend took me to another studio, I probably wouldn't have been practiced yoga, but the stu- the type of yoga that I went to was Bikram. And it was hot as hell. And that heat, you know, when you think about it, what's the only thing that bends metal? Heat. So that heat actually was healing my body. It was enabling me to move. When I got out the room, then my body would stiffen up. But anytime I was in that room, I felt like a million bucks. So to me, that that's the yoga I started with. I'm still grateful to that practice. I still practice that type of yoga, even though the man has kind of disgraced the, the name. Uh, then my second certification was by a brother by the name of Dharma Mitra. And uh, that was life-changing for me. He really showed me what it is to be a yogi. And I'm forever grateful to that dude. And he's still alive. He's an amazing man. I think he may be 83, 84 now. When I went to training with him, he was 77. And he can do things that most 20, 30, 40-year-olds can't. Like, he'll open up a can of whoop-ass on any yogi that I know living right now. And I don't look at yoga as, like, a uh, uh, competition. But if you look if you look at yoga like breakdancing or whatever... To see this 80-something-year-old man come out and put everybody to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my guru. <laughs> I would probably proudly stand there and watch and lift him above the crowd. And he's a brother who's from Brazil. He's not even from India. He's an ex-copo at Easter. So he comes from fight background as well, which was even made me connect with him even more. So there was a synergy as to your meeting, then, I take it. Oh, 100%. So how did it come about? I had actually uh, been certified in Bikram. And, you know, once you're certified in in that particular style of yoga, you can only teach that style of yoga. So even though I knew other forms, I didn't have the license to teach other forms. So I just wanted to get out the yoga. And I was signed up for something called Dragon Flow. And uh, just so I can get certified in something else. And then one of my yoga sisters called me and she said, Dre, Dharma Mitra is teaching a teacher training. I was like, who Dharma Mitra? She's like, the guy, the book that you have, the handstands, the headstand, the guy. I go, he's alive? He's a real man? I didn't even know. <laughs> I thought he was dead. <laughs> so I was looking at this brother through a book. And I was like, yeah, he's a... So I, I cut, I canceled that other training and boom, I was in with Dharma Mitra. And literally it was like, training with Bruce Lee like after thinking Bruce Lee was gone or this person was gone Jet Lee or somebody like what he's still doing trainings that's how it was for me and it was life changing wow wow forever grateful forever grateful that sent me on my path Hmm. that sent me on a different trajectory in terms of yoga So you've kind of shared your experience about the health benefits that you've experienced from yoga. Can you, for anybody that's maybe thinking about doing yoga, can you tell us the more, let's say, common health benefits of yoga? So it's like a blanket, you know, blanket um, health benefits. Well, you know, yoga is a breathing exercise where you happen to move. So the movement is really secondary and... The, yeah, the movement is secondary. The breath is primary. And, uh, you know, anything that inhabits this planet is considered an earthling. And earthlings that exist on this planet the longest have the slowest breathing pattern. 
and anything that leaves this planet fast has its very short breathing patterns. Now, lungs are like balloons, but we don't use them. So what yoga teaches you is how to, how to, how to really expand your lung capacity. So we're like almost like a free diver, but we're not diving in water. We're moving on Earth. But you can in, inhale through your nose for 30, 40 seconds and exhale through your nose the same amount of time. And I tell people, think about free divers. They train their lungs to be gone for three minutes. They didn't. They weren't born like that. They train. So the same happens with yoga. The longer you get into it, you'll realize, wow, my lungs, my breath, and everything stays calm when you get go to your breath. So we get rid of hypertension, high blood pressure, diabetes, gout, man, rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, you name it, back issues, cervical, thoracic, lumbar, uh, heart situations. Like I've had students come in and do a class and the next day they go get a physical and they're, they had to have six bypasses. And the doctor's like, how come you didn't know you were sick? You're like, I've been doing this hot yoga. That hot yoga is what kept your capillaries open and there's a blood flowing. You should damn near be having a heart attack. And then two weeks later, they're back in the hot room. Women pregnancy, I see them three days before they deliver their baby. Seven days later, they're back in the hot room. Wow. If you do yoga, as a woman, if you do yoga, if you've been doing yoga prior to becoming pregnant, you can do yoga throughout your entire experience. You just can't do yoga like, oh, I'm pregnant and I'm going to start. That's a shock to your body. But any woman who, who does, does yoga, the most incredible pregnancies, boom, in and out. Breathing, they already got the breathing patterns down. So you ain't really got to teach them nothing. They're already flexible. They're already, they're already connected. Yogis are connected to your body. So all my sisters out there, you, had, you want sisters. an easy, easy labor. <laughs> Yeah, you want easy labor? Get on a yoga mat. Start now. <laughs> I love it. Um, we're going to move on to your next selection, which is um, Soldiers Still Pulse. Can you tell us why you chose this selection? The give our back our wish doctor. Give our back our black ruler. We don't want no dictator. We don't want no tyrant on ya. Da TLA. All, all we want is just what was ours. Take us back to where we were. Let us stay, like, literally, if we would have never brought us to the United States, we'd have been fine. King Musa Musa had more gold than anybody. All they've been doing was raping and pillaging us. So soldiers hit me, literally, because, you know, they said, they, said uh, they had their shields, they had their spears, but their guns were greater. Prepare for a slaughter. They was willing to fight, but they were just... They weren't ready. They had guns and spears against, I mean, they had shields and spears against guns. Next thing you know, they on slave ships. <laughs> that tells the story of our diaspora. Here we when go. the soldiers came. Yeah, yeah. When the soldiers came, everything was good before the soldiers came. Go with soldiers still pulse.
plata Give my back like black ruler We no wanna Tell us more about the classes that you offer, um, Silent Savasana and Hella Yoga. So Silent Savasana started five years ago in a park on my birthday because I wanted to really try to get people to do yoga without feeling that they had to go into a studio. So we started with headphones in the park with 20 people and it built itself up to our biggest event was 840 people. I was going to uh, Nike I've been to Nike probably over a dozen times in 2019, and we we're about to Nike was about to launch Nike Yoga, and then COVID hit. So Nike Yoga will probably never happen, but we're on the precipice of doing something incredible. Uh, from there, Hella Yoga was spawned, and that's where a, a helicopter picks us up and takes us to the top of Valley of Fire, which is unattainable by feet. You can't climb up there. You can't get there unless a helicopter drops you. And then we do a yoga session up there. For two hours we, after yoga, we do a little meditation, maybe pop some champagne, and then we uh, get heli- helicoptered back into town. So a lot of stuff is spawned because of uh, what I brought to the yoga community, not just in Vegas, but, you know, abroad. Basically, you know, Dharma Mitra said, take yoga, don't bastardize it. Just update the hard drive. Make it more palatable. Because it's, it's a very boring thing for most people. And when he said that, I said, okay. I got the blessings. Let's go. Whereas Bikram, you can only do Bikram his way. That's it. You can't add nothing. You can't add no flavor to it, no salt, pepper, any Tabasco, nothing. You will do it just <laughs> Verbatim, word for word, and stay on this soapbox while you do it. Don't move off the soapbox. So I went from one extreme to another, basically saying, hey, yo, be you. Don't bastardize the art. Be you. And that's how I got 840 people. And what are your plans for the future of it? How, how, you, how do you want it to grow? Obviously, you planned to change, so how have you, you know, adapted to what's gone on in the world and, and what's the future now? Well, COVID, uh, because of COVID, you know, no more big events will be happening. So, Sina Savasana, I built a brand from nothing five years ago, and I was able to sell it. Uh, it's still going to be on a digital platform, but, you know, me, myself, I am no longer the owner of Sina Savasana. My pivot is Yoga DG, which is who I am, Dre Gardner. That's who I was born as. And, uh, you know, basically, Silas of Austin was something I invented, but it took off. So I was always trying to leverage myself, Yoga DG, and Silas of Austin side by side, but I couldn't. And it started becoming a burden because Silas of Austin was very family-oriented, PG-rated. So, you know, when civil unrest and social issues were happening, I couldn't talk about it, you know, at my events because, you know, of the brand. But now as Yoga DG, you know, I'm you're going to get it raw and real. And if I, I don't like what's going on with the Derek Chauvin case, you're going to hear about it. Science of Austin, I couldn't talk about it. It's not good for the brand. So I was, in a weird way, I'm glad that things happened the way they did so I could be more true to who I truly am. We're going to move on to your next selection, which is Ganja Smuggling by Eka Mouse. Why did you choose this selection? Man, Eka Mouse's voice, number one, was just something I had never heard of before in my life. And then for him to just come out with Ganja Smuggling back then was the ultimate rebellious act to the system. (laughs) And, you know... I'm on a rebel. I do no harm, but I take no shit. And uh, to me, that's, you know, Eka Mouse just lived, speaking his truth. 
Own your power, walk your path, live your truth. And that's why I liked rosters, you know, because they live their truth. We're not going to hurt nobody as long as y'all don't come over here trying to hurt us. But we're going to be who we are. And just because we look, we don't look like you doesn't mean that, you know, we want to be accepted by you. I had dreads for 14 years. And it got pulled out of my head in a fight. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, uh, a man who wasn't thinking too properly, a Caucasian man, walked up to me and grabbed me by my dreads and called me a bitch. Whoa. And the paramedics and the police came. And that's the last time he was ever seen. And it was called the Mutual Combat. And I got kicked out of every ghost gym in the United States. If I go to any ghost gym in the United States, I get trespassed and I go to jail. That man got brutalized for putting his hands on me. He touched the wrong person that day. I walked away. He got to, he he got an ambulance off to the hospital. Early early Sunday morning, it was a big contest. My boy, he not mud me a big alley, but I me allow them down in a doctor hub. One by one, load up the van. All of the ganja it ram. Put it on a plane. Go we gonna Spain. Money just a pull like rain. Me just a muggle up the lane in a rope gold chain. Hey, me and me girl named Jane. Bang bang, giddy bang bang, giddy bang 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 bang. Bend a bend a mo coin, bend a bend bend, get a yo coin. Dang dang, giddy dang dang, giddy bend bend, giddy bend bend, get a bend bend, get a bend bend, get a bend bend. Down there in the ghetto I go, where suffocation I once no hold. Mommy and daddy, all are we so poor? We all had to sleep on the floor. Stam it come and it blow down me door. Me afi meal up me window. Me shoes steer up, me toe does a show. Me no know where he really run the hole. Mommy does a ball, poor, poor, poor. Me cry, she say, don't cry no more. Dang, dang, diddy, dang, dang, giddy, man. Thank you so much for being a guest on this week's show. I really appreciate you sharing all of your wisdom. Of course, I will be sharing the links to all of your work so everybody can come find you. Um, I hope it's given people an insight into the world of yoga. Um, would you like to leave us with any words of inspiration before we hear your final selection? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, when, when I was paralyzed after I had my, my spinal situation, uh, I, 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 know I wasn't living my life by 24 hours. I was living my life by the man. I realized that we have 1,440 minutes in our day every day. Every one of us has 1,440 minutes. So depending on how many hours you sleep, you know, let's say eight hours. That's about 500 minutes, 480. That means you got 900 minutes left. If you cannot take 60, 70, 80 minutes out of those 900 minutes for your own health, well-being, and happiness, whatever that is, life's out of your control. So you can't wonder why you feel this way or that way. Your body's telling you that you're not taking care of yourself. And just like our, you know, body needs food for nourishment our soul needs love and that love has to come from us nobody deserves your unconditional love more than you do so the days of looking for you looking for somebody to complete you or make you happy that shit's over be somebody who completes you and makes you happy and then invite somebody into that space we say no to other people so we can say yes to ourselves. truth be told we say yes to everybody else, but when it's time for us, it's, oh, no, I can't, I ain't got no time. That shit has to stop. Point blank, period. We turn up for the parties, we turn up for the girl nights, the guy night, MMA fights, weddings. When it's time for us to show up for our health and wellness, it's a no-show. So how can you be happy? <laughs> <laughs>
chasing in the wind. If you don't love yourself and don't have, if you don't find peace within yourself, you ain't gonna find it outside yourself. You just gonna jump from person to person and keep pointing fingers. Person to person. Until you learn a lesson. People gotta go back inside and do that inner work. I call it intercourse. I have intercourse every day. I sit with myself three times a day. That's the real work. That's the deep shadow work right there. It's easy to sit in front of a damn TV and watch reality shows all day. Watch sports all day. How's that making you a better person? Why don't we spend some time just trying to make ourselves better? Why do we think that we're so right and perfect that not only to do shit else? That's what yoga does. It forces you into a new realization. And that's why you lose friends. Because you also gain people like, yo, I'm going to ride with you. Yoga saved my life. Point blank, period. Wow, there's a lot to think on there, most definitely. Um, I want to move on to your final selection, which is Blues Raid by Steel Pulse. Can you tell us why you chose this one? The bass line. Yeah, come on. Talking about parties. Police coming to break up parties, man. You know, I'm a DJ. I'm a percussionist. I'm a musician. And I play with reggae bands. I play with hip-hop bands. And we've been raided many for no other reason than just being black folks and do what we love. For some reason, when we get together and do our little jam sessions, they want to come break us up. But other people can have block parties and house parties. I mean, look, look at 2020. Look what happened when, when when black folks got together during during the vaccine. got together. We was getting billy clubbed. Other people was, have, was passing out napkins to them. It's still very prevalent. Thank you so much for all of your time, your wisdom, your stories that you shared with us, your history, um, your heritage, all of it. Thank you for sharing it all with us this week. And I hope it has inspired and empowered people for the world of yoga and their own journeys, their own journeys as well. Thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. I tr- truly appreciate you, Miss Danell, and uh, I look forward to you know listening to some more of your podcasts and supporting you in any way I can. Pick up a mat, sister. <laughs> thank you uh, so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I hope everybody's enjoyed this week's episode. Please make sure you're back here next Wednesday for a fresh and new episode. I am going to leave you with the sounds of Blues Raid by Steel Pulse. I hope you have a wonderful week. As always, blessed love. Music a bubble, not looking for trouble.